Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined as always by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. On this episode, we are joined by the new head coach of the Florida Gators, Todd Golden. That will be the first half hour of the show, our conversation with Coach Golden. I certainly appreciate him joining us and coming on to talk about the hiring process, about some of his influences, about how he views roster construction, just a bunch of topics. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy our conversation. We'll close the show around minute 30, the last half hour dedicated to uh, some various portal rankings and other things. But without any further ado, uh, Todd Golden. Neil Blackman, Eric Fawcett, Florida Basketball Hour. We are here with the new Florida head coach, Todd Golden. I don't know if you're still in an Airbnb coach, but uh, we appreciate <laughs> the fact that you uh, took some time out of your busy, busy day to join us. Um, welcome to to Gainesville, and and we're glad to have you. Hey, Neil, Eric, thank you guys uh, for having me. We're out of the Airbnb. We uh, we got moved into the new place. Got the family in town over the weekend. So I finally feel like I'm getting a little bit settled. Um, but I will never forget the Airbnb. It was a great place where we, uh, did some good building early on, uh, in the, in the Florida regime. That's good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Coach, uh, thanks so much for joining us. It is not lost on me that, uh, uh, it, it, oh, recruiting opening up to 2024 kids opened up like 12 hours ago. So I know this right. is, uh, this is a busy time. So it's, it's, it's great to have you on. Um, of course, me and Neil are as, as big of uh, Florida basketball fans as, as there are. Um, just doing what we can to uh, to illuminate the program and, and everything like that. So it's uh, it's a true pleasure to have you on, and uh, thank you to uh, Devron who made that happen. No, no problem at all. I'm uh, happy to be here with you guys and appreciate your support. So, Coach, I, you know, I wanted to get something for our listeners because they probably read the stories that have been written about you know your your background working for Bruce Pearl. Uh, you know, everybody's read these stories about, you know, Todd Golden's in love with analytics and all this stuff. But um, let's I wanted to ask you about one of your other mentors, Kyle Smith, because um, that's a coach that maybe people don't know as much about. But then if you look at what he's doing, speaking of analytics at Washington State, a place where it's almost impossible to win. Um, and he's had, I think, three of their best five Kim Pom seasons in the last 20 years. Right. right. T- t- tell us about what you learned from him and, um, you know, a little bit about, you know, his influence on you. Cause, cause obviously he was a big part of your development as a coach. Yeah, no. And before I get started talking about Kyle, I, I will say, I appreciate you referencing, you know, having three of their best five Ken Palm seasons and uh, not referencing their overall win loss or something along those lines. Uh, that, that makes me feel good about this conversation. Uh, no, Kyle, you know, Kyle is someone who, you know, he really recruited me as an assistant, you know, when I was walking on at St. Mary's originally. And, uh, you know, ever since then, we've been very close. And, and as I got into coaching, I joined his staff at Columbia. And, um, you know, I, I think Kyle is one of the most underrated coaches in the country. And, you know, he doesn't come with a lot of the fanfare that a lot of our, you know, our peers have, but uh, to your point, you know, what he was able to do building Columbia up into a winner and then going out to USF and and having three straight 20 win seasons there, and then going to Washington state 
and really getting them into, I guess, the NIT semifinal in year three, uh, really with a team that was probably good enough to make the tournament had they stayed healthy over the course of the year and not had so many COVID issues. Um, you know, he, he's just been really, really successful in, in places that haven't won a lot. And that's really, in my opinion, something that can can really help define what a good coach is. You know, there's a lot of coaches that win at places uh, that have been successful year after year, no matter what coach goes in there. Um, but we all know Columbia is a place that hasn't had much success since the 60s. And, you know, to have a 23 win season there was incredible. And then going to USF, you know, and, and really kind of turning that thing was hard to do. And Washington State was one of the you know least successful power five jobs, uh, you know, over the, the previous decade. So, uh, you know, really, uh, really impressed, you know, of what he's been able to do at every stop. And for me, uh, you know, I learned a lot from him when I played for him and, and I really learned a lot for, with him, uh, you know, coaching with him both at Columbia and San Francisco, really in the way to run a program and, and to do things uh, efficiently and, and to focus on the details and uh, really to be consistent. And I think those are things that he does really better than anybody. And, uh, you know, he really opened my mind as a player. Uh, to analytics back in 2003 through 2008. And that was a big reason why I was able to, to kind of break into the rotation at St. Mary's because of some things I was able to do and prove value that way. Uh, so it's something that, that, you know, means a lot to me and something that I've carried into my career as a head coach. So talking to a lot of coaches that are uh, at the mid-major level, one of the things that is so frustrating is to be recruiting someone for months and you're in the gym watching them and then uh, suddenly, suddenly someone with a, you know, with, a, with a bigger logo comes and walks into the gym and you know that if that guy were to offer a player that you've been working on forever, um, you know, you're probably going to lose him. So now that you're at Florida, you've got that Gator logo on your chest. Um, can you describe a little bit of, of what it's like to have, like, like, is there a swagger you feel having that kind of logo? And then um, kind of on that same kind of note, I mean, no one wanted to play you at San Francisco. Um, now, you're, <laughs> now, now you're at Florida and uh, scheduling might be a little easier. So can you talk a little bit as well? Um, about what it's like to uh, have things uh, maybe come a little bit easier on the scheduling front. Yeah, no, first about recruiting it. It's a great point. And it's something that I can't wait to do to the, the mid-major coaches that, <laughs> you know, I, I had done to me over the past six years, you know, three as an assistant, three as a head coach. Um, but, but Eric, you're right. You know, and we, you know, we can do a good job at San Francisco identifying, you know, a player maybe in a sophomore year and say, Hey, this guy has a chance to be really good. And we can do a lot of a lot of work on the front end and build it out. But, you know, if Cal Berkeley or Stanford or UCLA came calling, the reality is that, the you know, 99 percent of the time the kid was going to go there. And I mean, that's common sense. Right. I mean, that, that that's understandable. And uh, uh, we, we learned to kind of navigate around that. And that's why I went more international and uh, really, you know, after my second year, I uh, spent a lot of time recruiting transfers. And we thought that was something that was really valuable that way. Um, but now. You know, I feel like we can kind of take a for, for the high school players, take more of a wait and see approach. I don't feel like we need to rush into offering certain guys. Uh, you know, we can kind of take our time and really evaluate, which I think is really important at this level, too. Uh, you know, we're not going to be a program that just looks at the two, four, seven rankings and says, hey, you know, we're going to go da, da, da. like we're going to look at these guys. Uh, obviously, geographically, Florida is where we want to really uh, kind of build our program, you know, here first and then around surrounding areas, but we're going to go out and evaluate those guys also. And then by the time, you know, their summer, early fall rolls around, have a really good understanding of who we want to go after. Uh, but we, we can really, I feel like uh, for the high school guys, really get down to the bottom of it better here. We don't have to figure it out early. You know, we can take our time, whether it's over a six to 12 month period uh, and figure out which guys fit our program, obviously from a basketball standpoint, but also 
from a character standpoint and academic standpoint, you know, that, that makes the great fit, uh, and scheduling, my goodness, man, uh, you know, that was probably one of the most challenging things that, you know, we had to do at San Francisco and Jonathan Sapphire, who came with me and is part of our staff did a wonderful job, uh, you know, working through that. Uh, and, and when we got here and, and got with Linda Teeler and, and our administration and went over the schedule, we, we only had one game to get. We were in the PK 85. We were playing in Charlotte against Oklahoma. And we just started giggling because the, the heavy lifting is done. And at Florida, as you guys know, like that teams want to play us. It's, it's a lot easier to get games. And uh, now I'm, you know, I'm going to be able to not put ourselves in a position where we have to go play a San Francisco on a neutral or on the road and, and, you know, put ourselves in and get those landmine games that we were, you know, we were for opponents, you know, the past three years. So, uh, you know, in both those areas, both recruiting and scheduling, obviously it's a little easier to navigate here at Florida than it was at San Francisco. Coach, I'm glad you miss, mentioned Jonathan because, um, you know, I think in addition to having coaches that were at, at Columbia and one that went to Vassar, we probably have now uh, one of the, the most intellectually gifted staffs, <laughs> <laughs> at least in terms of academic background in the SEC. No, but, but in all seriousness, you guys have been really intentional. In, in the way you build a roster and obviously you would say, well, that's, that's my job is to be intentional in the roster I build, but yeah. um, you have more wings, I think now uh, than Florida has had in many, many years. Um, what was the, the thought process behind that and, and how exciting is it to look at your roster and see, you know, Will Richard, Niles Lane, Kwesi Reeves, Riley Kugel just, committed and should be on campus soon. I mean, all these guys that, that are switchable and, and that give you, you know, the kind of chance to play a little bit more modern than, than Florida has been able to play. Yeah, no, it's a, I think roster composition is probably, I could argue it's the most important thing right now, you know, in our profession and, you know, it's, it, everything's turned into a year to year thing and it's a, you know, there's some good things about it. There's some bad things about it. It is what it is. Um, but you know, we, we're going to always be super intentional in regards to our 13 scholarships and, and how we distribute those. And, and we want to be an older team to the best of our ability. And that's why getting Colin Castleton back was so important. That's why going out and getting Kyle Lofton uh, was really important. Why getting MJ to come back uh, was really important, you know, and building kind of that nucleus of having older guys within the program. And then uh, to your point, you know, and, and I think of the guys, you know, like Kowasi, Will Richard, Niles, uh, they're multidimensional players. You know, they can really play. Uh, they can play on the wing. Most of those guys can play with the ball in their hands in the backcourt a little bit, you know, as secondary ball handlers, second side ball handlers, like we call them, uh, guys that can make plays off the bounce and are more than just catch and shoot guys. Uh, and, and they do provide a lot of length and size. And that's something that I think uh, is, you know, if, if I'm looking at a roster last year at San Francisco compared to what we have here, you know, we had a, obviously a really good team. We were top 25 camp in San Francisco. I, I think here, just the depth of talent that we have and the size and length and athleticism uh, is something that we just didn't have last year at San Francisco outside of our point guard and our, our basically our two front court players. Uh, whereas now our wings, you know, we can play, uh, you know, Kwesi and Will and got, those guys have, you know, between six, eight and, and seven foot wingspans, you know, and so we're going to be able Alex Fudge is another guy who, you know, will play more in the front court. Uh, but could also play on the wing if we needed him to. And that's a guy that has a seven foot wingspan, one of the best athletes in the SEC. And so we're going to have a lot more flexibility uh, in terms of playing different guys together uh, where, you know, we have some really, really good ball handlers as well. Guys like, you know, Kyle and Trey Bonham's a guy I'm really excited about. I think he's going to be a really impactful player for us. So uh, we're deep 
uh, were long. And the thing that I'm excited about is I think we're going to be able to shoot it a lot better uh, than this program did last year. And that's an area that at least as long as I'm the head coach is going to be really important to us and something that I hope that we can do at the, at the top end of the SEC every year. Um, I mean, something I think is interesting is I think a lot of people look at some of those wings and, and maybe thought that you were about to say that you'd play them, you know, from the two till four. But um, at, uh, at San Francisco, you played a lot bigger. Um, and that's something that I think the league kind of uh, dictated. I think about uh, Gonzaga, who started the duck and ball screen thing. And now everyone on the West Coast is doing it. And you've got to got to be able to match up with that. I mean, one of the things that I love about college basketball is that there are so many different styles of play league to league. Like, I, like, again, I think about the WCC and I think about the duck and ball screens that you guys use. And, and of course I think about kind of Gonzaga starting it. And I think about uh, coming from the Ivy where of course there's Princeton, but, but Harvard was kind of setting the, the tone play style wise there. Yeah. What, what are the styles of play differences you see between like the WCC and the SEC? And, and what are some things that you're going to take from the style of play from, from Columbia and then what you saw in the WCC? Um, what are you going to take from there to, to the SEC? who maybe hasn't uh maybe some of the coaches haven't yet taken some of those uh those kind of styles of play things from from other parts of the country yeah no you you hit it you know when we got really good uh last year at san francisco we played bigger you know we played with like what people would call kind of two traditional bigs and it was kind of the opposite in terms of you know stylistically from new age nba spread style you know we played with two guys that really didn't shoot threes uh, because we had some really good playmaking guards that were good playing off the ball screen. And once they got downhill, uh, you know, Jamari Bouye was one of the best rim finishing guards in the country. Gabe Stefanini was actually – Gabe Stefanini and Khalil Sabaz were both really good in the mid-range. And that's something like, you know, we don't take a lot of those, but those were two guys um, that proved capable of making them at a high enough clip as well as taking advantage of getting on the offensive glass with those big guys. It was a formula that was successful for us. And, uh, you know, with the one thing about us is we're going to always play a style uh, that puts our guys in the best position to be successful. So like this next year, I don't think we'll play as much through round two. You know, we just don't have the, the personnel in our program outside of Colin and Jason uh, where we want to be smashing guys and, you know, uh, like driving off duck ins like you talked about. So we'll, we'll play more spread, more four round one. And that'll be a way for us to take uh, take advantage of having guys like you mentioned on the wing where we can play a fudge in a trail uh, or even play, you know, Will or Kowasi in the trail at times, you know, mismatching them against bigger guys that are going to have trouble guarding them where we can find them more perimeter shots and different systems that we run. Uh, we'll, we'll take a lot of the ball screen stuff that came from the West coast. You know, I think St. Mary's and BYU and even Santa Clara to an extent were programs that really ran some really good ball screen stuff over the last couple of years. So we can pull from that. We'll have our 30 packages uh, talking about the Gonzaga actions and the Arizona actions that they've ran over the past 12 months. And we'll also have some Princeton actions that we'll be able to run in the half court, you know, playing off of Colin at the elbow, uh, you know, where we're getting some split actions and playing off of that. So uh, we'll have a lot of different things uh, to, to take advantage of, of different, you know, the way different teams play, whether it's pressure defense in the half court, whether it's more of a sagging pack line, uh, you know, where they're trying to take us out of the paint. Um, but we'll, we'll do different things to take advantage of that. And the exciting thing is we can kind of pull from those different programs and leagues that we've been in. Uh, good stuff works everywhere. And that's something that I, I think that we're really excited about. So we made it five questions into a Florida basketball uh, podcast without bringing up Billy Donovan. And, you know, I know when you, <laughs> I know when you uh, took the job, you said you got the chance to talk to Billy um, but when you mentioned ball screens, I was like, I got to go Billy next because 
you know, anybody that, that played Billy knows you get ball screened to death, yeah. um, even in the NBA. So, um, you know, what is it? Obviously, Billy came from Marshall and showed what the ceiling was at Florida. Denver could rattle off all the numbers, um, you know, <laughs> second most wins in the SEC this century. Um, only Villanova has a better NCAA tournament win percentage this century. I, I did that one. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously huge shoes to fill, but kind of cool that you come to a place where, where fans are going to see uh ball screen offense again. And, and, you know, what, what was that conversation with Billy like? And, and, you know, what does it mean to you to be at a program that, that he helped build? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's really special to be honest. And, you know, I think some people, uh, might be a little nervous about kind of, uh, taking that all in and, and being willing to kind of pour into the tradition and the history that he was able to build, you know, coach Kruger also, right. Did a great job in his time prior to Billy. And uh, you know, I, I just, the way I've been raised and, and the way I am, I want to embrace that time. You know, that, that's something that I know any, any Florida basketball fan looks back on as kind of the glory days and something that everybody would love to kind of get back to that. And so really when, when I was fortunate enough to get the job, I wanted to reach out to coach Donovan and kind of just pick his brain on what he thought was successful during his time here. And, and if there was anything that he thought I need to, you know, be made aware of and, and to just take on any advice that he was willing to share. And, uh, you know, he was, he was, and has been awesome. You know, we, we've talked a good amount and, uh, he, you know, the one thing that kind of resonated with me is he's like, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'm willing to talk as much or as little as you want. I want to be a resource for you. You know, he talked about how Gainesville was great for him and his family, uh, you know, raising his kids here and a place that he continues to hold near and dear to his heart. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think he's, he's, uh, someone that, you know, I can kind of look up to and, and someone that I can kind of aspire to be like, and, and, if, if we're able to have, you know, 80% of the success that he did, I think, you know, we'll, we'll be re remembered fondly here. Uh, you know, if we are able to make a final four or two, I think it'll be even better. So uh, now he, he's just great. And I think he's a really good guy to, to try to emulate. And uh, obviously he had great success here. And, and that's my goal as well. So kind of, you, you mentioned kind of reaching back to, to the kind of the, we'll call it the glory days of, of Florida basketball that we think will return. But I, I think that, one kind of nod to that for sure is, is hiring Tori and green. So uh, of course you built a, a very interesting staff very quickly um, from, you know, Jonathan Sapphire, someone that I've been a fan of since I was, you know, clicking on links on the side of Ken Palm and seeing him <laughs> not there. Um, even to, you know, me and Neil have been very interested in the strength and conditioning hire. So um, of course, this is a lot of names. Don't feel like you have to go uh, super long, but could you just touch on, on each member of the staff you've hired and just say something, you know, quickly maybe about their personality or um, what they're bringing to the Florida program. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Carlin Hartman is someone that I think of as a mentor. You know, I worked with him at Columbia. Uh, he was the associate head coach for Kyle when I took my first job. And, uh, you know, just honestly, one of the most well-rounded coaches in the country, a guy that could have been a head coach uh, previously and, and just has been in really good situations, whether it be Oklahoma with Lon Kruger for, you know, seven years, I think it was, and then with Kevin last year at UNLV. And uh, I know he didn't really want to move again, uh, but because of this opportunity, uh, him and his wife, Christine, we're willing to, to come and join us here as we kind of get this thing going, which, which I'm really excited about. And then uh, Corey McRae, a guy that I, I didn't know as well, but, you know, we had met early on from his time at UCLA, uh, but just someone super experienced in the South, obviously uh, a great reputation in terms of recruiting in the SEC, uh, really great base in Atlanta, but also really well-respected down here in Florida and someone that really helped me navigate some of the AU landscape early on. And then Kevin Hovde, uh, a guy I've worked with, I think, uh, 
seven years uh, in my career. Started at Columbia, uh, and then spent five years together at San Francisco. He was originally my associate head uh, my first two years before he went back to Richmond last year and helped them get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, and someone who's really, really talented on the court, uh, really good on the court basketball coach, one of the best offensive minds that I've been around and someone that has the ability to teach a lot of different styles and uh, that, that I think will make us really hard to guard next year. Obviously, Jonathan's a guy that has uh, been with me the last four years at San Francisco uh, and deserves a lot of credit for our run last year. Uh, did a great job after I promoted him to an assistant in terms of recruiting and kind of building our roster and then did a really good job over the past year with our schedule and then on the floor. And kind of, a you know, I, I, my right-hand man would be – that's uh, probably not enough of a compliment to him in terms of kind of how we operate. And uh, he, he's, a, he's a great basketball mind, someone that, you know, hopefully I'll have for a while, but I anticipate an NBA team uh, coming in in the next couple of years and uh, trying to scoop him up because he knows just as much about NBA salary caps and rosters as he does about the college uh, recruiting landscape and just really smart. And the guy that um, gives me a lot of confidence as we build this program – uh, so those guys, you know, kind of built the initial the initial group and then getting Torian on board was huge. Uh, Eric, as you mentioned, to kind of connect the dots uh, from the mid 2000s and uh, someone that has great experience with player development, obviously worked with Billy last year in Chicago. Uh, and what made me really excited about bringing Torian back is, is how much he loves Florida, you know, just how much passion he has, uh, not just for the basketball program, but the university and, and uh, really isn't afraid to share those emotions with people. And uh is a great, you know, just a great solidifier to our staff in terms of being able to sell the story and talk about his time here, uh, you know, just all the great exp life experiences that he has had because of this institution. Uh, it was really important to me. And then, you know, we've added Jordan Talley, who's a guy that, you know, has coached in junior college all up and down Florida and uh, has his master's from JMU, just a really, really smart guy uh, who's going to help us in the video room and in the player development. And then Kevin Olson. Uh, I brought with us from San Francisco will be our video guy next year uh, and just another guy that's comfortable with our program and knows how we operate and knows a lot of the analytical pieces that we do. And Victor Lopez is our strength coach and I brought him from San Francisco as well. And he's a guy that uh, really, again, like Jonathan deserves a lot of credit for our run last year because he did uh, really improve uh, the strength of our guys and got our guys bigger and stronger at San Francisco with a lot less resources than we have here. So I think he's going to really be able to thrive. Uh, you know, in this environment. But I, I think I pretty much touched on everybody, uh, you know, in terms of the meat and potatoes of our staff. But it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty simple, you know, in terms of what makes coaches successful in, in college basketball. You have to hire a great staff and you have to recruit good student athletes. And it, it's not much more than that. But uh, I feel like we've been able to, to hire a great staff and have a really good start. Uh, first of all, retaining the really talented student athletes within our program and then going out and getting the other guys to join us. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to get going, you know, as we begin our summer here, we're entering week two, uh, you know, and then getting into the fall, it's going to be here, you know, before you know it. Well, I know you got to get going soon. I wanted to ask real quick about your your point guard, Kyle Lofton, who who I imagine uh, will like the weather in Gainesville a little better than Ole in New York. Um, yeah. And uh, he might he might not have to play 39.2 minutes per game. <laughs> At the, at the University of Florida in his in his fifth year of college basketball, but how big was that? Because I think a lot of people understand what a coup it was to get Colin to come back. Um, yeah, I think, you know, normal Gator fans are like, "Hey, we got a first team or second team All SEC big man back. That's amazing." But I mean, Kyle Lofton played in a really good league in the A10. Yep. 
And whenever you played St. Bonaventure, whether it was Bob McKillop or anyone else that coaches in that league, they said, oh, Kyle Lofton, that's the straw that stirs the drink. You know, you got to you got to deal with him first. So what are Florida fans getting in, in this point guard and, and how excited were you to get him on board? Yeah, he, you know what? He was a super uh, important piece for us. And, you know, his uh, he was a guy that I admired watching, you know, over the years to I'm sure you guys did as well as basketball fans, just knowing kind of how gritty the Bonaventure program was and how good of a coach, you know, coach Mark Schmidt is. And, uh, you know, he, he had a tough year last year with his, his ankle injury and it kind of slowed him down early, but he, again, early on in the year and then at the end of the year showed what he's capable of. And he's, you know, in my, in my estimation, one of the best point guards in the country. So uh, for us to be able to add him as a fifth year and uh, you know, what made us really good at San Francisco last year, we had some good players, but we, we had an incredible point guard, Jamari Bouye, who I anticipate will get drafted here in the next couple of weeks. And then Yayan Masalski was a great uh, center for us. And really those were kind of the, the bookends for us. And I feel like we have that now again with Colin, uh, you know, and getting Kyle on board. We have another guy that is just going to be old, trustworthy, gritty, tough, a guy that's going to be able to run the team. He's going to be able to play in transition. He's going to be able to play out of the ball screen. Uh, and, and I think that he's going to be a guy that will be, you know, a connector, uh, kind of a coach on the floor because of uh, his comfort and just his experience, you know, and someone who's just been really good. So, um, you know, those two, two positions, uh, generally are tough to fill, uh, you know, point guards are hard to find centers are hard to find. Well, we, I think we have both, you know, guys that, that are really, really competent and capable, uh, and are old and tough. And so that that's going to be really, really important for us. And I think it's going to take some heat off Myron. It's going to take some heat off Trey, uh, to be able to play with a guy like, uh, Kyle that can make plays for them. And, and they don't have to be the primary ball handlers all the time, finding their own shots. They're going to have a really talented guy finding shots for them. Uh, so it's going to make them a lot more efficient. And that goes for all the perimeter players and all the guys that are going to, you know, play, whether it's on the wing or even at the four, which is going to be more of a spread for us this year. So uh, really excited about having those guys. So you had to meet a whole new roster of players, or at least the, the returning guys from the Florida program. Um, you know, we, we saw a couple of those guys are, are, are pretty funny guys. Some of them are pretty reserved. Is, is, there, a, is there a story you can tell about uh, – uh, getting to know these guys and, and, and maybe something that uh, that cracked you up or you thought was funny about one of them? Or uh, could you maybe tell us something that we uh, maybe don't know about one of these players because uh, they might be a little bit more reserved or quiet? You know what? It's uh, I, I don't know if I have like anything too funny or, or witty about them. I, I will say this, though, and uh, it, it's actually credit to Coach White and his staff. You know, all these guys are really, really good dudes, like really good dudes. And I think uh, it's something that – Usually in transitions, uh, you know, there's a reason why there's a transition and maybe the program had gone awry or maybe there were some bad apples. Um, but I, I have thoroughly enjoyed spending time with these guys and getting to know them a little bit. And they're, they're each unique. You know, they each are unique and kind of have their own personalities. And uh, what I'm most grateful of is they've been really receptive of the coaching and, and we pushed them pretty hard so far. And uh trying to push them past, you know, their li previous limits. You know, Jason Jatobo is a guy that I'll highlight as, uh, you know, we, we go, and as I'm sure you guys know, we're, we're deep in a lot of the different advanced analytics. And one, some that we kind of found and came across that we were super excited about was, you know, Jason Jatobo's on off splits from last season. If, if you go back and look and see how the team played when he was on the floor compared to how they played off, uh, you know, I, I told my staff, I said, we need to do everything we can to keep this guy upright and keep him in the lineup over the course of the year, because if we can have him, you know, along with Colin for, you know, hopefully 35 to 40 games next year, 
uh, we're, we're going to have a really good team because they played like a top 10, 15 team in the country when he was on the court. Uh, you know, but he's a guy, I don't even know if he knows how good he is, you know, uh, but we've really tried to pour into him throughout the spring and summer. And he, he's done a really good job of being receptive to that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think what you'll see is uh, new elements and kind of these guys maybe showing some things next year that people didn't know that they had in them, you know, like Niles is a guy who I don't know if he even made a three last year, but he's shot the ball well so far for us in workouts. Uh, you know, I think Kawesi, you're going to see as more of, uh, you know, just a catch and shoot guy, which he was primarily last year. I think three out of every four of his shots were threes. Uh, he's a guy that actually has more of a dribble game and I think he's going to be more explosive, taking it off the bounce and drawing fouls and get to the rim. Uh, you know, Colin, my hope for him is, is he's comfortable, you know, shooting out to the three this year. He's a guy that I want to take, you know, two or three threes a game that are good shots to kind of spread the defense and take some of that rim protection away. Um, and Myron's a guy that I think is going to bounce back and, and have a good year for us. He didn't, you know, shoot the ball really well last year, but uh, I, I think he'll be more comfortable that way. And even like CJ Felder is a guy that I'm excited uh, to coach. So all those guys that were around last year, uh, you know, I, I think will be impactful for us. They're all really good players. Coach, thanks so much, man. We don't want to hold you up to your 12:30 meeting, but uh, obviously appreciate it, and and hope we uh, get to to catch up with you again soon. Yeah, Neil, no problem. Eric, I appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, I've uh, I've seen some of the work, and uh, really like what you guys do, and the way you think about the game as well. So uh, excited to continue the conversation, and uh, uh, appreciate you guys promoting our program. Thank you, Coach. You got it, guys. Take care. So once again, it was good to have uh, Todd Golden, head coach of the Florida Gators, join us. Um, Eric, any thoughts on on kind of what we were able to talk to to coach about? Well, first of all, I, I'm just really happy to see that that Coach Golden is is just you know was was happy to come on the show, and and we've seen that he's been on all kinds of podcasts, um, you know, mostly nationally. But it just shows that he uh, he's passionate about being at Florida. He's passionate about reaching out to fans, and you can kind of tell just with the enthusiasm of uh, the way he was talking. Like it, you know, it seemed at least like he wanted to be there. Maybe he's a great actor, but I, I've got to tell you, Neil, when you first told me uh, last week that you said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna interview him on. Uh, on, on Wednesday at, uh, at, you know, noon, I was kind of thinking, I'm like, Oh, there's no way this is going to happen because I knew that Wednesday was when, uh, or today was when, uh, uh, the transfer or not transfer, uh, when the recruiting calendar opened up, the coaches could, could reach out to 2024 kids. So I knew that it was going to be a very, very busy day, um, for, for Todd. And, uh, yes, it's, uh, so I, I was just like, you know, I knew you booked it. I'm like, I would not be surprised at all if it comes to half an hour before and this interview doesn't happen. Uh, but it did, and he was super present. So I just appreciate that he was, uh, willing to do it when he did it. And, uh, uh again, just kind of based off his, his answer answers and enthusiasm, it doesn't, didn't feel like he was, you know, doing a chore. It seems like he genuinely enjoys talking basketball genuinely enjoys reaching out to, to Florida fans and and I appreciate that and you know in terms of stuff he said I I, I it was obviously all good I, I think what I maybe loved the most this will be no you know surprise to you but I I just love styles of play and I'm very interested to see what the Gators look like and I, I think the way that they have so aggressively pursued front court players I maybe assumed that they would be trying to play two bigs at once um like they did at San Francisco uh just again the way that he's he's talked about his front court players the way that he's continued to go after multiple front court players i was just like oh that you know 
maybe sounds like they're going to play big. So it was, it was definitely interesting to hear that they, or that, that, that coach doesn't necessarily think that they're going to play big all the time. And in fact, kind of implied that it, it wouldn't happen much. So uh, that was probably the most interesting kind of uh, I'll say kind of tidbits um, other than just kind of the, the general impression he gave off. Yeah, no, I loved the enthusiasm. Like you said, I thought that was uh pretty impressive, um, especially given the amount of things he had on his plate yesterday uh, just to come on and, and be that excited to talk to us was cool. Um, and I loved, uh, like you said, I just love that he expressed a vision for kind of how he expects the team to play um, in mid June. That's super nice, especially because they've only been working out together for, for a week and a half. I thought it was interesting that he said that they might be a little more four out one in um, than maybe you or I kind of thought. Um, I wonder what that means for CJ Felder. Like it got me thinking about player roles and I didn't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, but, you know, definitely had me thinking about that. He mentioned Myron Jones a lot. <clears throat> so obviously, you know, if you read the tea leaves, just getting Myron to stay, keeping him out of the portal, talking about him a lot in the press. It's like an important shooter. It's obviously he envisions a big role for Myron on the team. Um, might answer some of these starting lineup debates for people. Again, that's maybe a leap too far, but considering the consistency in which he's referenced Myron Jones, it kind of suggests that at least offensively, they know how, how vital he is to the, to the team. And they're trying to figure out what, uh, what they can do to, to make him most effective um, after what Ty Golden said was clearly a disappointing season for him last year. Yeah, that was good stuff too. And again, consistent with what he's uh, been talking about on other podcasts and, and uh, articles as well that, that Chris Harry has wrote and everything like that. Uh, and, and it's one of those things too, where like uh, I, I, I like there's definitely part of me that especially when he started talking about different offenses that he was wanted to take from BYU who has such a good continuity ball screen offense. They do something like I call it like I I, I, got, I almost call it like read option where they have a pick and roll with another guard running from the opposite side of the floor over top of the ball handler. So the guy who's running the pick and roll can either use the ball screen or or dribble handoff to another guard it's it's very unique and very tough to guard so i absolutely love that so i would have like absolutely wanted to ask about that after he like quickly said something about that and then talking about the 30 series from gonzaga which mark few's been running forever i could have totally gone into that of course with hubdi and and him mentioning princeton offense we could have gone into that so um I mean, part of it was time for sure, but I also think that like there's there's also part of me that's like, oh man, it's like good that we didn't totally get into the specifics of of everything because like I, I've got to say like as much as last season was you know generally disappointing, one of the most fun things I kind of think I did as just from a writing side and from a podcast side was um, you know I'd I'd been told by some of the assistants what the offense was going to look like, so it was kind of one of those things where it was I was really excited for those first couple of games to like get into the film and be able to like present something to to readers and listeners about like what the offense looks like. So as much as I would have loved to get so many more specifics about the way they're going to play offense, there's part of me that's like, I kind of don't want to know. And I kind of just want to go into these first games, just like really excited to watch and get into the film after. And, uh, 
and cut something up and uh, almost the same way in terms of uh, player roles. And of course, you know, if we were to say like, so who's starting at the two or, Hey, are you team Malik Grady when it comes to Will Richard or team Florida basketball? You know, like we could, we we could have asked that, but honestly, in, in some ways it's, it's kind of fun to just like, let's wait for, for opening night. Let's, let's see what happens and, and break it down from there. So uh, I'm really happy. I mean, uh, as much as the time of the interview went by really quick, I also feel like we were able to ask a lot of questions and, um, Man, like I said, there's a couple times where I was like, hey, you know, like coach, if you just get, you know, a couple, couple quick words on each each one of the staff members, I thought he's going to be like, oh, here's, you know, Corey McRae, you know, hard worker, um, uh, you know, really nice guy. But like, no, he went into, you know, great detail yeah. on, on yeah. even his grad assistants and video coordinators. So um, so again, that was that was also a part of that I that I really enjoyed. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so anyway, exciting times. Great to have Coach Golden with us. Um, the. Gators still do have that open roster spot. We didn't ask coach about that. Um, didn't think it was necessary to really dive into that with him. Um, he didn't even mention anything either, uh, which was kind of interesting. Um, you know, could have said, Hey, we still have an open roster spot, but didn't um, when he was kind of rattling off things about the team on another question that you asked that I thought was a really good question. Uh, you know, he kind of used like, tell me something interesting about these guys to just say like, wow, they're a really good group and they like each other, which we kind of knew. Um, and it seems like with the stories coming out of, of the early camp that Kyle Lofton has kind of immediately become the team leader. Um, seems like that's going to stay the same, uh, the, the liking each other, you know, cause if they, if the group currently on campus already liked each other and they're willing to defer to Kyle Lofton immediately, that's a good sign. Um, at least in my opinion, Eric, but yeah, he didn't mention that open roster spot, but with um, portal season and NBA draft uh, decisions made, um, you know, obviously there, there are a couple there are still names in the portal, people that are going to land places, but a couple different ranking systems have come out ranking the, the portals uh, the athletic has Florida at fifth uh, among portal classes. 24 uh, seven sports has Florida at eighth. Um, and it's narrow margins, like between fifth and tenth. Really, we should we should add that. Well, I guess it's pretty narrow between fifth and eighth, the way that they've got it set up on both. And then there's kind of a drop off. Um, but but Florida would be the best in the SEC um, per the Athletic, and then second in the SEC behind the importer, Eric Musselman, on twenty four seven. So, kind of any thoughts on on who won the transfer? Portal, Eric, I think it, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of hard to say that Texas Tech didn't win, but I guess you could you could make the argument that when Illinois got Matthew Meyer, they kind of became a Final Four favorite. Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I know that, I, or I shouldn't say I know, I'm pretty sure that Evan Maya has, uh, um, or Evan Mia has, uh, as Illinois is the best. Um, so that would be kind of reasonable as well. It, it's, it's honestly kind of the same thing as, as with recruiting rankings. And yeah. I know we've talked about this in the past where like a perfect example would be when the, when the Gators for much of the, uh, of last year's class had only Kowasi Reeves committed Florida's like transfer class on a lot of the transfer ratings was like ranked like 60th. And it's like having one high four-star borderline five-star is like, 
you know, I bet there's a lot of teams that were ranked ahead of Florida in the class rankings that would trade classes with the Gators to just have Kwesi Reeves. So it's one of those things where like, I, I feel with some of these rankings, um, I, I feel like it is often a little bit more quantity over quality. So I will say like, like big caveat here, or not caveat. I just want to lead in with saying, I love Florida's transfer class. I don't know if I think that it's like top eight necessarily. I, I know that they got yeah. better at a lot of positions, but I don't think they got the like dead ringer top shelf transfer that I think I would like, I, I would just rather get like the guy and then, you know, a couple pieces than then probably like a bunch of good pieces and Florida got a bunch of good pieces. And that's great. And when you're built and in a transition year, that's awesome. And if you want to add, um, who had the best transfer class given the situation, I might put Florida first. Um, just like, you know, transition sure. year, what they're bringing back to be able to do as well as they did given the situation, then maybe they rank first. But I, I just think much like recruiting rankings in high school, often it's often quantity over quality. I kind of feel like that's the way that that some of these transfer rankings are, are, are done. And I, I think Florida's class is awesome. I think maybe a little bit more like, you know, top 12 than like, you know, top eight or whatever the top Evan me, I think has the Gators like fifth or sixth as well. So I'm, I've got that one in the back of my head as well. So um, yeah, that'd be kind of my thoughts. I'm interested in what you think. Yeah. I mean, look, Florida at eighth and 24 seven seems kind of low to me. Like I, I don't know if I have them top five, if I were to like write them all down because I'm with you. Like, so the athletic has the athletic and 24 seven are good examples because the athletic has Texas at seven. And the reason they have Texas at seventh is because they only brought in two transfers. Um, but one of those transfers is Tyrese Hunter, right? So if you're bringing in Tyrese Hunter, that kind of begs the question like, okay, well, we're only bringing in this guy, but it's exactly what our basketball team needs. And it's probably the best player available in the country at that position, right? So, you know, does that warrant a top three spot like 24-7 gave him? Or does the athletic say, well, well, we like Georgetown better, which is what they had the three, because they had to fill out a whole roster <laughs> and they brought in like, you know, a bunch of transfers, many of whom were in the top 50. So it kind of, it does, I think I agree with you. It really does depend on how you evaluate it. But like, to me, like I like Florida's group better than Arkansas's, which is not that I don't like the Mitchell twins. I think they're fine. And, and I think Trevon Brazil is a guy who both of us thought has just superstar talent, right? But didn't come close to scratching the surface of what he's capable of at Missouri. Um, so, you know, is there an asterisk by Trevor Mazil? Like, do we trust Eric Musselman's going to make him awesome? Like, yeah, I think he's going to be really good, but we've never seen him play like great, except for in 10 minute pockets where he does something stupid and ends up on Sports Center. So, you know, that's a game guy whereas like i feel like they have one proven guy in ricky council you know whereas florida has probably multiple it's another reason like i look at it to me and and i think providence would be in my top five and they are sixth in both the athletic and 24 7 and the reason i'd have them in my top five is because like i know what i'm getting when i get bryce hopkins i know what Noah Locke can do now that like I trust Ed Cooley will like put him back in the Mike White spot and just be like, deal with it, young man. Um, <laughs> this is who you are as a basketball player. Uh, and I think Clifton Moore was clearly LaSalle's best player. Uh, Devin Carter was the rare like 
Frank Martin blue chip recruit. So, you know, I mean, I think, I think that's a great group and they're there. You're getting quantity and you're getting a bunch of guys who are in like the top 30, top 40 in the portal. So again, I should also say another disclaimer. I was kind of like, when I'm talking like ranking transfer classes, I also feel like I'm doing it. I'll say what the implied method is of, of I'll say the athletic and 24 seven, where it's like kind of ranking them based off the 2022, 2023 season. It's not really projecting long-term, which is potentially very unfair to do. Because again, if Todd Golden was like, I want to put together the best transfer class I can for the 2022, 2023 season, it might've looked different, but he's looking at like, you know, he's looking at, winning down the line as well. So of course, with like a Bonham, with a fudge, with a Will Richard, like guy, like it's not a bunch of one year guys where of course, a lot of the teams that I would say at the top are probably your like, I'll call them grad transfers, um, like one and done transfers. I know some of them are true grad transfers. Some of them are not, but like, you know, the guys that are expecting to have one year. So it's one of those things where like, again, much like some recruiting classes in high school that are ranked lower, but ultimately end up being some of the best classes because the players stay for three or four years and are awesome. That could also be Florida's, class um that might not be you know i don't think it's a top five class for next season but if you know bonham becomes awesome and richard becomes awesome and fudge becomes awesome it's like okay like we could be looking we could be looking in 2024 and be like man florida absolutely had the best transfer class but i just wouldn't quite say that at the moment and um i like you you mentioned brazil with with arkansas i also feel like brazil and 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 fudge two like six foot nine athletes that everyone thinks could be way better than they were at their previous stops. Like those, right. are, you know, I, I absolutely love Brazil and love fudge yeah. and, and they're both kind of similar, similar players to me. So um, that'll be a heck of a battle when, when, when those two see each other. But uh, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's again, one of those things too. That's like, if someone was like, Hey, like wanted to rank fudge and said like, Hey, here's a guy who looks like an NBA player. So I'm going to have the Gators higher. I'd be like, yeah, that totally makes sense. If someone else wanted to be like, Hey, you know, I see he's got pedigree, but didn't do a whole lot and couldn't really get in the, on the floor in sec play last year. I, therefore think he's not as good as some people are ranking. I'd be like, okay, that's also fair. So um, yeah, that, that's, that's all kind of my thoughts. So, um, you know, I, I just still want to be careful. I, I want people to know that I, I love Florida's transfer class. I just, uh, I think that some people who, you know, think that the Gators should, should, you know, be a top or be as high as six or eight or whatever that is maybe a little, a little high for me now. And I would love to love to be wrong on that one. Yeah. I mean, look, and I think, I think you're right. Like, and, and again, I think fit has to be in that discussion right? Like we haven't mentioned Miami and you could make an argument that Miami, because they got Nigel Peck and because um, they got Norchad Omier, uh, they upgraded their front court defense, right? With Omier. And they, I don't want to say like for like replaced their point guard situation, but Jim Laranega needs that point guard. And so they did exactly what they needed to do from a fit standpoint with two guys, um, both of whom were probably in the top 20 in most transfer portal ranking player rankings. Like that's a great portal class. There's just not a bunch of them. Um, so I do think fit has to kind of account for it. It'll be interesting to see like, what do people think of North Carolina, right? With so much of their roster mm. coming back, like, okay, well, if Pete Nance, if his visit to Chapel Hill this weekend goes well and he commits, you know, okay, because that's the talk up here in North Carolina. Oh, they fanned on Matthew Meyer. And it's like, well, is Pete Nance actually a better player than Matthew Meyer? Like if we look at, you know, and, and if we ask Todd Golden or Jonathan Sapphire that question, 
and said, tell us analytics or I just, or you or me just tweeted like resume A, resume B numbers. You know, I bet a lot of people would pick Nance's numbers. Um, so it becomes like, oh, is it fit? Especially because Nance is, is a power forward in the, the sort of Brady Manic mold, right? So yeah, fit is huge in that discussion, I think. Uh, yeah, I will say that I am team uh, Nance in this situation. I really like Mayor, uh, Matt Meyer, but uh, I just feel like uh, that that archetype of, of player, of like pure kind of catch and shoot, stretch four, um, I, I just personally find that to be that a... That honor? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, I okay, I actually... Yeah, this, Billy I, doesn't I get a, enough credit for that, Eric. Yes, I was on a podcast talking about this recently on, on a coaching basketball, like a bad a basketball coaching podcast where I talked about how I thought that uh, um, I think that the archetype of like stretch four is very overrated in in today's day and age. And I think that and kind of my central point, my too long didn't re- read version is Ooh. I think that there was huge value to be derived when no power forwards were shooting threes, and then you plug in a map yeah. honor when you go from zero spacing to a 38% three point shooter, that is a huge marginal or that's a, that's a huge gain. Nowadays, when your average power forward is in the, in college basketball is shooting 31 or 32% from three, a little bit below the national average for all players, plugging in a, 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 a Meyer who's, you know, 37, 38%, you're not getting that same advantage when you go from like zero to Matt Bonner. That's huge. When you go from CJ Felder to Matt Mayer, and that's just not a lot of, there's not, a. I I don't feel like there's a lot. So I I really like him as a player. Don't get me wrong, but give me Nats who I think can shoot the hell out of the ball too. Um, Even perhaps even better, but also brings, brings more to that. So I just wanted to say I'm on, I'm on team Nats, but you know, I'd also still love to hear, you know, coach Golden and Jonathan Sapphire as I take on that one. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Uh, and I do think that's a great point. I hadn't thought of that, that it's become a little less valuable now because like it's more common. That's a great, a great argument. I really do think Billy Donovan was kind of an innovator in that respect. And that's another thing we could have gotten into more with Coach Golden yesterday was like how Billy Donovan, his like actual offensive innovations in terms of like ball screen offense aren't just about ball screen offense. Like some of them are about how to space and ball screen offense. And one way that they did that um, in his career was pretty consistently having a stretch four, whether it was um, Matt Bonner or Chandler Parsons, who really was that because if you watch Chandler in college, like he played with his back to the basket a lot. So in fact, I, I bet Chandler posted as much as Matt Bonner in college. Like I'd have to go back and look at at numbers, but the times that Matt like would receive at the elbow were probably higher than Parsons receiving at the elbow. Parsons catches were probably post or perimeter. Um, anyway, I mean, this is a whole rabbit hole that you can tell it's a <laughs> summer podcast and we could like get into, but it's an interesting innovation, by the way. The second NBA title that Bonner won that year, um, Matt shot 43.9% in the National Basketball Association from deep. And, like, I just don't know how you defend a team that <laughs> has that option and, like, Tim Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nevertheless. Um, so that's kind of just an interesting talking point I wanted to get into was that transfer portal thing. We have a couple of quick announcements before um, – we wrap up this episode. One is um, just got the press release that Florida will 
play Kansas State. I think I had predicted either Kansas State or TCU and said it'll be one of them. It is TC, It is Kansas State. Florida will be on the road at Kansas State in the SEC Big 12 Challenge next year, Eric. Yeah, maybe not the sexiest matchup for sure. Um, I know a lot of people were hoping for TCU when, when you mentioned that. Um, and it, when you look at the way that the rest of the games kind of broke down, I think you were probably right that it was going to be TCU or Kansas State. And um, I guess it's honestly just one of those things where I, I guess you just hope that uh, Florida is not in a position because things are going so well that you're they, that they don't need uh, a big time, you know, net boost in that situation. And they have all the wins that they need to and things are cruising along in the SEC. And it's perhaps even going to be nice to say, like, OK, great. At least we don't have to go and like bang with TCU, who's very physical and, and athletic and um, or have to play like Kansas or whatever. Well, actually, I think I still think everyone would, would take Kansas. That'd just be fun. But you, you know what I mean? Like, hopefully, hopefully the season's just cruising along and um, it's it's not like, oh, I wish we were playing a big time opponent. Maybe it's going to be even nice to play an opponent who's not that. Um, of course, uh, given Kansas State with the with the coaching change, bring in Jerome Tang, very highly respected assistant for so long at Baylor. Um It'll be interesting to see exactly how they play. He's, I think he, he was at Baylor forever. So, like, you'd probably assume they do something kind of similar to what Baylor's done, which has, of course, been very, very successful. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't uh, I don't love the the transfer class necessarily that they have at, at, at Kansas State. Um, of course, for a program without a lot of recent pedigree um, and with a, and a coaching change, not that there was I, – I think Jerome Tang still, still did very well given, uh, given the – situation he was in um ishmael masood is a player they got actually th- last year but he's from wake again he's actually just another stretch four but you know I, I think he's got a little bit more to his game but it's a pretty good player um desi sills uh, that's a pretty interesting one they have a big time uh, junior college big man coming in so we'll see exactly how, how that goes but um yeah i'd expect like you know fringy like around the top 100 in the net um the gators play yeah. on the road i believe is that right neil yeah, it's so, on the road, so, so I'm hoping it's in that quad one. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. You know, yeah, let's hope. Let's hope like, it just it, it should be close to sneaking in there. Yeah, right. And I think that's good. And and I mean, yeah, I, I'm not nuts about what they have roster wise. Desi Sills is a is a winner. Um, Florida fans really familiar with him. Uh, lost a lot of games to him the last couple of years. So um, he's a he's a tenacious bulldog defensively, and I'm sure that's why Jerome Tang was excited to bring him in as, as they'll try to impose that defensive culture from Baylor immediately. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it was actually funny to watch. So, so Desi Sills, which I kind of missed this earlier in the season last year until I like turned on a random game and, and, and saw it, but he actually transferred to Arkansas state, which I completely missed out on. So he was playing next to, next to Norchad who's off uh, to Miami. So, uh, you know, two pretty good players there, but uh, yeah, he's still yeah. struggled to shoot the ball is, is kind of has always been the case with him, but uh, yeah, he's a bulldog man. He's, he's disruptive on the ball. So he'll be, uh, he'll be an interesting uh It'll be an interesting matchup, but I think, like you said, it's like uh, kind of given even what Kansas State has been recently. I think that um, if there's anyone who's going to know kind of the situation of what Kansas State basketball is and the situation they're in. It's going to be Jerome Tang, so I think he knows they're not going to they're not going to be winning many games by by out talenting the Big Twelve or out skilling them or anything like that. He is going to try to you know play the game in the trenches. So, uh, it, yeah, it's 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 just one of those ones that I will now be interested to watch some Kansas state games in non-conference in, in anticipation of this one. I know. And I wanted to get in. I think this is a good way to, to kind of close. Cause we've got these, these sec 12, the sec 12, 
SEC Big 12 Challenge matchups that have been uh, announced. And I don't know what will become of the SEC Big 12 Challenge when two of the more celebrated programs in the Big 12, at least one in Texas, um, and then Oklahoma's had success. And certainly when, when you produce the type of NBA players they've produced of late, uh, you get noticed a little more. Lon Kruger did a great job there kind of elevating the program, but, but when Oklahoma and Texas leave, but it's, Eric, your thoughts on some of these matchups, Arkansas uh, at Baylor um, stands oh. out. Um, you know, I, that's, that obviously I think is, is probably the sexiest other than Kansas at Kentucky. Um, you've got to know that they did that on, like, I feel like they had to have done that on purpose with Kansas at Kentucky because normally it would be big 12 champ versus SEC champ. That's normally how they line it up. So it should have been a Kansas Auburn type deal potentially, um, except that they didn't go that route. Uh, they go Kansas at Kentucky, so Kansas gets a chance to to go to Rupp after Kentucky um, did what no one does at Fog Allen and just kind of ran Kansas out of the building last year. Yeah, no, that that's interesting to see. It just like seems like Kansas and Kentucky, like in in my memory, which of course is like not totally right, but it just feels like every year the Gators have played like West Virginia, and every year Kansas has played Kentucky, which is like I know it's happened like twice for it for the Gators, but it's like when I think of the SEC, you know, Big Twelve Challenge, I'm like for whatever reason, what comes to my mind is the Gators playing West Virginia and Kansas playing Kentucky. So I I think that uh, especially there when they put that game in, in the season right during conference play like that they, it makes sense that they just you know want big time matchups that's fair um i think arkansas baylor is is fantastic that's that's going to be a very very good game i i think that might be the one that i would be like most looking forward to and yeah. um just pulling up because honestly i hadn't looked at these matchups i jake winderman messaged me right before the right before we started recording but uh, who mentioned the kansas state matchup and we were just kind of like oh you know cool um yeah. maybe not what we were Over. hoping for so <laughs> uh so yeah it's, it's you know to me it's like oh whatever um but uh yeah I, I think the other one that i'd be looking forward to and it's probably mostly just my love of porter moser but i do think that um after you know kind of seeing the second year of of oklahoma basketball under moser um playing alabama who's also kind of retooled a little bit i think that's going to be a, a, a sneaky really good game i and again i just think that oklahoma i'm like man i do not think they were very talented this season and still found a way to be pretty competitive the gators of course know how competitive they were so and um alabama a little bit of a down year relative to expectations last year and i think that one could be that one could end up being very very good as well so that'll be you know just as an objective sec basketball viewer that'll be a great game yeah no i like um i really like auburn at west virginia too mm. just because style styles make fights and like that could get super frenetic and and chaotic and crazy. And you know, that as long as COVID is cool, um, <laughs> Morgantown will be, uh, you know, it'll be lit in there for that game. And uh, I don't know how much longer Bob Huggins is going to, is going to coach, you know, hall of famer. Uh, he's at his alma mater, which I always feel like when they're somewhere, they're home, they tend to stay a little bit longer. Right. Like Roy Williams said, like if he didn't love Chapel Hill so much, he would have like retired a couple years earlier and, and he, you know, quite candidly said he probably should have. Uh, so we'll see with, with Huggy bear, but um, that, that could be a super fun game and a, and a big game for both those teams when it comes to seating. 
Yeah, I just, I obviously the last couple of seasons we've had some uh, some coaches retiring that maybe you know surprised a lot of people, and I just feel like uh, if there's a coach that I could see being like, you know what, this new era is not kind of driving with me, and maybe I'm, you know, this is just my guess, but like Bob Huggins does not strike me as someone who's like right. super into the portal, who would be super into the portal, who would be super into NIL. Um, I know that West Virginia was a little bit behind a lot of the other high major schools setting up a collective um they ultimately did but if i i don't know if there's a, if there's ever someone who i feel like just would decide like you know what um i've had a whole lot of success this maybe new era isn't for me um i, I feel like maybe it could be hugging so we'll we'll see i think he's great for college basketball but uh man some of these teams have been rough and even from a style of play kind of standpoint um the game is i don't want to say passed him by or anything like that but there's definitely some elements of the way that west virginia has played that are a little archaic and has made them not the kind of perennial top 25 team that they've been recently um and then just one thing that i want to point out about west virginia for this year because i find it absolutely hilarious is eric stevenson who people will remember from south carolina so he played at Wichita State under Greg Marshall. Then he played under Frank Martin at South Carolina. And then he just transferred to West Virginia to play for Bob Huggins. So I just think like perhaps the biggest masochist in, in college basketball is Eric Stevenson, <laughs> who, who clearly likes hard coaching. Uh, uh. So that's uh, that's a big crime. Um, you, uh, also, uh, we also, this is not the first time we have laughed about Eric Stevenson on the podcast, because if you re- will recall, um, Eric Stevenson, who was a career like 28% three point shooter, transferred to South Carolina. And in the offseason, Frank Martin said he was the best shooter he had ever coached. Um, so that was, uh, <laughs> that, was something, that was something we laughed about last year. He actually ended up shooting like 34% from three for South Carolina last year. So he turned into like a slightly above average shooter. But, anyways, I remember us having a, a good chuckle at uh, the best shooter that Frank Martin had ever coached, being a guy who was like had played three seasons at less than 30% from three, but, uh, but anyways, yes, Eric Stevenson, the, uh, the guy who uh, does not shy away from tough coaching. That's for sure. Yeah. And I, I do think they, they definitely, cause normally they do these, these matchups by sec ranking as close sec and big 12 finish as close as possible. Um, and I definitely think Florida with the coaching change kind of, if the Gators got the short end of the stick a little bit in terms of the sexiness of the matchup, because you know, I definitely think they went TV ratings big time with Texas and Tennessee. Um, obviously, that the Rick Barnes, as long as that's a thing, they're going to keep trying to to dial that up. I think, and then, um, you know, going with Kansas and Kentucky, and and Bruce Pearl will probably say something about it uh, here in the next week. He's let his opinions fly lately on Twitter on everything from Joe Biden to. NIL to, you know, whatever he, the LIV golf tour. I mean, Bruce is not holding back right now. So an emboldened Bruce Pearl. Um, nothing says SEC champion like a coach yapping his mouth on Twitter. Um, that's just been kind of the way it goes. So that'll be interesting. And I, by the way, on your Alabama, Oklahoma thing, that is fun. And, and uh, you know, maybe an interesting one for, for Nate Oates. Like they didn't, you know, like you said, they're retooled, and I'm not sure that year three was bad for Alabama under any circumstances. I mean, they're in the NCAA tournament, blah, 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 but um, there were definitely some, like, it. 
the best way to characterize Alabama's season last year, so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about, because I promise I do have a point to make here, is that the old questions about whether you can play that way in the power six, I think, are back. And that mm. some of the second year for NATO, it's might have been about personnel more than the effectiveness of that style. Hey, it's an interesting point. Um, that's something that we've talked about on this podcast a whole bunch. Can playing that that pace can it, can it work at the high major level? Um, one thing that I do like, you know, talking about coaches that are very very open. Um, Nate Oates on several podcasts. I just saw him at a coaching clinic. Uh, he talked and, and he's, he said he said almost the same thing. I've I've heard him say it on three separate occasions on two podcasts and then a coaching clinic. Um, he has mentioned that he did not think that last year's personnel was was suited towards playing fast and he said yeah. he did it anyways because of recruiting and i just love the openness to be like like so many coaches are like hey you know we're always gonna like play to our player strengths and and all that he's just like no we uh i kind of knew that the season wasn't gonna be good so i was like we could either be not good or like you know be slightly better but probably not a very good team playing a style that I don't want to recruit to, or he's like, oh, we can continue to play really fast, play the dribble drive. And even though it doesn't fit, we're going to probably not win the SEC anyway. So might as well play the style and, and try to recruit. So I just thought it was kind of like refreshing openness. Um, yeah. I just feel like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's again, like, I feel like sometimes like Nate Oates openness gets him, gets him in trouble, but I, I, I love it. I love when coaches kind of will speak openly about stuff like that. I feel like Bruce Pearl and Nate Oates are guys that like, if we wanted hard enough, we could get them on the podcast and like Bruce Pearl. Oh, like, for yell, sure. Yell, yell food opinions for a while. And maybe we mix in a couple, a uh, couple basketball questions, but I, I still love those guys person as much as like, sometimes we'll probably roll my eyes at some of their antics. Um, as a general rule, I, I, I will take the trade off of some guys that are a little bit crazy, but we'll be very open about basketball things versus, you know, you're, you're kind of old, school only speaking cliches coaches because uh man bruce pearl and uh nate oats are, are not that yeah no bob rishi at a coaching clinic recently said there are two types of coaches um and i thought oh gosh here comes a cliche and then what he said was super was super interesting he said there's ideologues uh and then he mentioned nate oats and he said they just have an idea of how their program is going to play and that's how they play uh he said bob huggins you know, NATO, it's, those are the kinds of guys they're going to play away. And if you don't want to play that way, that's fine, but they will process you and you will be on your way to a different program because that's how they're going to play. Um, and they're going to recruit to it. And if they end up building a roster that doesn't quite fit it perfectly, they're still going to play that way. And then there's pragmatist. Um, it was interesting that one of the pragmatists he mentioned was Mike White. Oh. Um, and I think Florida, Florida fans should um, hear that and, and kind of think oh, that's interesting. Rick Barnes was another coach he mentioned as as being very pragmatic. Um, you know, he's just said they are going to constantly try to adjust to do whatever they feel like suits their current roster best. Um, a guy like Rick, he said, might recruit stars a little more than he recruits system, um, and you know, just is a big believer that talent will win out, but. Um, you know, Bob and I, I didn't get the chance to talk to Bob. I would have loved to ask him what he felt Mike White could have done differently with that young Florida team that went to the second round and finished like 345th in tempo. Because more I look at it, the more I think that team should have played faster, like much faster. Um, but, you know, especially with like young Keontae Johnson, and it wasn't like Kavarius Hayes had bad knees, like he could run. Um 
if you at me with Andrew Nimhard can't play at fast tempo takes, I'm going to block you on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'll just mute you. Um, and, uh, you know, so anyways, interesting thoughts by, by Bob on that and, and kind of, I think some kernels of truth to, to like, you know, coaches do sort of fit into one of those two categories. Yeah, no, absolutely. And some coaches are, are pretty open about it. And uh, I, I think that uh, it's definitely interesting, especially even coming from him, who's played such a defined style of of offense, that five out Princeton stuff, which I think is just like outstanding. Um, yeah, shout out to Furman because uh, they also got a former like a player that I think we both liked and would have enjoyed the Gators picking up in Carter Witt, really flashy point guard. So good. Um, so I, actually, it, this is all oh, man. We're so deep in the summer offseason podcast at this point. Um I think that re- <laughs> reclassifying for point guards does not work for a whole lot of guys. You could even argue that it wasn't best for Andrew Nemhart. He's of course carved out a great career and is going to get drafted, I believe, next week. But was it the best for Andrew Nemhart? I guess we'll never exactly know. But Carter Witt, here's a guy who had Florida offers. I don't think Florida ultimately wanted to take him, but he had those kind of high major offers. So, anyways, he goes to Wake Forest. They are desperate for point guard play. In the middle of his high school season, he leaves high school. He should be playing like you know, whatever high school and wherever he, I forget where he's from. I think he's from South Carolina, but um, then he joins Wake Forest. He like starts his first game or his second game against Duke. Um, you know, things don't go super well for him just because he was kind of rushed into a starting role when he should have been in high school. And, you know, th- th- things didn't go exactly as planned. And now he's at Furman. Right. Hey, great for Furman. I think he could have gone to, you know, stayed at a higher level, but he ended up at Furman. It was just uh, one of many point guards who reclassified to play earlier in college at the high major level and have ended up at the mid major level. I love Furman and I think that he could still accomplish all his goals there, but just another maybe cautionary tale, but uh, um, Hey, now with, uh, with a uh, coaching, well, they, they hired a good coach at, at Chattanooga, but uh, Hey, maybe, uh, maybe this is finally time for Furman to make the NCAA tournament. So, you know, one of our, one of our favorite uh, non-Florida teams on the podcast for Furman Paladin. So talk with them anytime we want. Yeah, no, I think Bob, Bob will get there eventually. Um, you know, right now he's in that Mike White zone where he wins the league and, and doesn't get in, but no harder it. Yeah. I mean, he's good, man. He could be, he could be a SoCon player of the year. It wouldn't shock me at all. Um, that kind of talent. So anyway, hope you guys enjoyed this show. Um, I'll let Eric sign us off this week. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.